G'day and welcome to Grad Chat, your opportunity to find out about graduate research here at Queen's. My name is CJ the DJ and I am your host for this week's Grad Chat. Of course, a show like this could not happen without the support of the School of Graduate Studies and CFRC, so thank you to both of them. Now, don't forget, if your mates miss the show at any time, you can download the podcast the next day on either SoundCloud or iTunes. And also, CFRC now has their own podcasting as well, and so Grad Chat is going to be on that too. So absolutely no excuse not to hear what our awesome students and postdoctoral fellows are doing. Today, I would like to introduce you to Vanessa DiBattista, who is doing a PhD in civil engineering under the supervision of Dr. Kerry Rowe. Welcome to Grad Chat, Ness. You prefer Ness, Nessie? Ness. Ness, okay. Welcome to Grad Chat, Ness. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. That's good. Now, just so you know, I had to make Ness run down here (laughs) because I forgot to remind her where we're on today, but that's okay. She just ran down, got her breath back really quickly, so we're quite happy about that <laughs> so I should have got her a drink too that was very unkind of me but I'll get you that later <laughs> I, I do love how research can have uh, you know similarities then be applied in something completely different uh, and, and your research is on geosynthetics and site remediation so can you give us just a bit of an overview of what that topic is all about before I start really getting into those nitty-gritty questions for you So geosynthetics have a lot of uses, but what I'm looking at is the geosynthetics we use in landfills. So it's it's thick polyethylene sheets, about one millimeter compared to a plastic bag, which is much thinner than that, and some clay liners. And we use these to protect all that, protect the water from all that garbage and and stuff that's in in your way. So in site remediation, it's not garbage, but a lot of times it's chemicals and nasty things that can are kind of harmful to us, harmful to the environment especially, and just trying to protect our resources as much as we can. Okay, so so this geosynthetic thing is all, all about liners? Yes. Liners, yes. okay. And so I, I noticed at some stage you talked, I was looking at your bit of your, the overview of your um, research here, you talk about brownfields. Okay, yeah. So, can, so what's a brownfield? I know some of your colleagues have talked about brownfields, so let's just do a bit of a recap of what that means. So if you're talking about building development and site development, there's brownfields and greenfields. So greenfield is that pristine, maybe like a farmer's field, but it's never been built on before and sold to the de- developers, right. you know, paved paradise, put up a parking lot. But a brownfield, and this is common in areas like Toronto and the GTA, where you you have this green belt surrounding it. So it's areas that have been used before um, and need to be reused again because there's no other space to build on. Ah, okay. So that's how it is. All right. And then, of course, we don't know what's been underneath yep. in those in that land because yep. it has been used before. Whether, as you said, there's all all sorts of nasty chemicals yep. and hazards. Especially and... if it had industrial uses, then there's all sorts of like so metals it... and common groundwater co- contaminants are like chlorinated solvent so like trichloroethylene and tetrachloroethylene and these are, can cause cancer and make you sick and or the like um, gasoline all these little things are actually like pretty harmful pretty to harmful. water and orga- organisms because i notice a lot of times and i'm digress uh, going off a bit of a tangent here i know a lot of times when builders are making new things they dig a big hole and they chuck a lot of rubbish in there first and then build on top of it because yeah. i know in the garden i'm constantly digging out in the garden and how come I've got concrete down here, yeah. concrete blocks? Is because it's just been chucked back in to help 
feel over the top. So I imagine also in urban areas there's lots of landfills Mm-hmm. from people throwing away their waste and things and even what the garbage men pick up. But a lot of times they can get you reused later, can't they? Um, be building over the top and things? Or do, is it not necessary for building, putting buildings on top but more making it into parks and things? The What I'm looking at is using these geosynthetics, so geomembranes specifically, for building on top. So right. I'm looking at if it, there was an industrial use building and it's been demolished but the soil is contaminated with volatiles, which are things that'll volatilize into the air and uh, can be harmful if in, if breathed in, right. and v- protecting against vapor intrusion from your subgrade into your building. Into your building. Where you're spending eight so to you, ten hours a day. Yeah, so you don't want it leaching into the building. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to bring up a co- um, a, my first major question. <laughs> um as I mentioned earlier, some of your colleagues in civil engineering have been working in geosynthetic liners already, um, but for for use in Canada. Yep. You, however, are looking at Antarctica, which is a long, long way from Canada. So firstly, why did you choose Antarctica to do your research? Or I, I guess you just want a good field trip down to Antarctica. I mean, wh- why down there? <laughs> well... I, I'm lucky because I didn't choose Antarctica. Antarctica chose, chose you. Me. Oh, yeah. fantastic. So Even better. I was a PhD student at the right time in the right place, interested in the right stuff, and the project needed to transition to another student. And so I was oh, there. you took over that project. I took over that project. Ah, and fantastic. Our partner down there is actually a postdoc from before I was here. So I'm the third or fourth i'm the third one of our group to kind of go down and work on this so you have been down to antarctica yes i went down twice (gasps) what did you think it was the best place in the world yeah yeah obviously you have to go in summer yep so i went i went from november to march twice so uh not the year that just happened the two years before that and you stayed that long that long a period of time i guess it takes a while to get you down there in the first place did did you fly in or you had to go in by boat so i got i flew in so i work with the australian antarctic division right and so i fly to tasmania and from tasmania it's a four-hour flight to casey station which is where we are i'm so jealous (laughs) i would love to love 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 to go down there it's amazing (laughs) so hopefully you've got lots of pictures you can show later i have so many and there's lots of lots of penguin pictures in fact anytime i do a presentation because i try to present this as much as possible there's always one penguin question (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'm gonna have to go on that trip with you so uh hold on to that thought so you're there for a long time so i guess the first trip you did dan was to dip trip down there was to to meet the postdoc who's been doing that work and explain what's going on and where you are and then i guess the next one is doing more of your own bits and pieces Mm -hmm. was it so it was two-part trip the first part was to decommission some of the stuff that was already there and collect specimens because my part of my research is looking at how it's performing once it's been in use for four or five years and this is the liner you're talking about right okay um then i set up a test plot with my liner trying to look at conditions of how we can help it perform better and then we built a liner in my second field season where we use kind of everything we saw and we're like hey this is working this isn't let's adjust this a little bit and um really apply what we were doing in a kind of a real way which was really fun it's interesting though that you've gone to antarctica because i never would have thought and and it's probably a silly assumption that it would have the same issues that we'd have in an urban environment because 
Not many people get to go to Antarctica, even though I know there's been a lot of researchers and I know they're, they're very careful about how many people can go to Antarctica. But I guess, as with anything, with people coming, we leave trash and all sorts of yeah. bits and pieces around. Is that why you wanted to go there? I mean, apart from a, this is a project that found you, is that some of the things that you're looking at, what's been left behind and then how can we clear clean things up as we're going along? Well, not just clean up, but once again, make sure that we're not that having that leaching into new buildings and things so one the big thing about antarctica is you're not allowed to leave anything there right so the australians have kind of they've had fuel spills in the past they've had fuel spills while i was there and really that's just something natural that happens when uh, you're okay. you're just storing a million liters of fuel, fuel in one place over a winter a right. very harsh winter unfortunately fuel spills do happen but what really governs this project is that you can't leave anything in Antarctica. Right. So you have to get that man-made fuel out. And um, so we are really remediating and rehabilitating soil and cleaning it up. Um, And that's a whole big part of this that I'm not as involved in as the biological remediation. But the latest fuel site was underneath a building that had to be built. So we actually had to install a vapor barrier you, right. Like so, we we applied all my research in Antarctica. Like the entire my entire thesis was applied in Antarctica, That's whether fantastic. or not it's written yet. That's great though. That's great. Yeah. So we know it works. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> and I, I have a really good slide for like my presentations that so I've gone through my Antarctica, I've gone through my vapor intrusion, and then I'm like, so what? Like, does this work? And then I show them a picture of like, remember in Casey Station we used we used this. it. We yeah. used it. So so that's interesting. So the so this vapor. Barrier Barrier, which is this geosynthetic, yeah. very, very thin lining, but obviously very tough yeah. to stop things going through. If there's already building there, how do you get it in? So there wasn't a building there. Oh, at the time, but yeah. you wanted to have a building Yeah, and there. it was a critical path item. Like they had to get it built before the end of the season because after the end of the season, you lose right eight months of time and so we had to figure out of how we can build this while not having diesel fumes in the building for the workers okay great (laughs) love it so you have this membrane but all this membrane is stopping what's underneath the membrane coming out yeah but the stuff underneath, the fuel that's been spilled, is still there. Yes. So is that the other projects, the biologists who are looking at how can they break up the thing? And at the moment, you're just your membrane is containing it. Yeah. So then people can figure yes. out what to do inside. But you're worrying about containing to make it safer outside. Mm-hmm. So the entire kind of project was first we did an excavation in that building footprint it was a huge thing it was a meter of soil in some places wow. i have a picture where it can't be easy down in antarctica well, it must we, be pretty hard yeah and we have like you have some small things that you but it was a lot of chipping just, away chipping with a crowbar because it's a lot of fractured rock hmm. and then you pump out with like a hose and so that was part one was getting as much as we could out right and then re-backfilling it with Actually, what we backfilled it with was remediated soil from a previous fuel spill where this entire process had worked. Okay. Which is great. Yes. Um, Then you build the building and then through the next season and probably in the upcoming seasons, you have a pumping system where... So you can still take stuff out. Yeah. So we we dug three wells, four wells, and they were just pumped every day of that entire season and like... 
then treated by a Melbourne PhD student right. who set up a mobile water treatment plant. So this membrane, because mm-hmm. obviously getting the membrane, I mean, it's obviously some sort of chemical composition that you've made this membrane. How can you check that it's not breaking? And, and so I guess what is its lifespan? Because if you put it down there, is it five years, ten years, and then you have to start all over again, or hopefully by then it's all been sorted so you don't need another membrane. So how does that work? Did you work with, say, the chemical engineers to create this membrane? or? So these membranes, the one I'm using are relatively new, but traditionally they're polyethylene, so which is okay. what you make. Like plastic, yes. Plastic out of. And Dr. Rowe has extensive work and extensive PhD students modeling, like looking at the longevity of these in more traditional applications. Okay. And kind of what we're figuring it out is like the enemy of the these membranes is heat and like deformation. Okay. So the good thing is Antarctica less cold. heat. <laughs> yes. yes. Very cold. But the only problem is that makes your geomembranes more rigid. So uh, you have so to it could co- make them brittle and things. Yeah. Right. So if you have right. large stones, it could poke into them, causing holes. So that's kind of the balance of that. You have to pick a thick enough membrane, and but also have to make sure it's not so thick that it's rigid. Right. And then wow. there's another layer of complexity because I'm not just using a polyethylene membrane because those are actually chemicals would diffuse like benzene, toluene, gasoline, those types of things diffuse through those very easily. Oh, okay. Compared right. to like an ionic compound because like dissolves like. So then there's an extra little layer in the membranes that I'm looking at called ethyl vinyl alcohol, which is a polar polymer. So okay. it's different than your non-polar benzene. So or it's the opposite it's sort the of. Opposite. Right. So it really stops things from moving through it. And we really don't know that much about if there's any sort of strain and compatibility. Like, I'd love to do that, as, you know, in the in the years of... Uh, but I have to finish my PhD first. But <laughs> and then you can do it. <laughs> yeah, so these liners are so new. The first time they were used was in Antarctica. Right. Now they're kind of being brought to market by other companies. And we just... We only know about the diffusion properties so far and we know what we know about polyethylene and other than that it's a little bit of filling in the gaps so i'm going to ask a question of what kind of area are we looking at that you're having to cover so in antarctica 10 feet or is it 100 feet wide or yeah so in antarctica it's pretty small it's well small in like a civil engineering scale so the building itself was probably around 30 meters by 50 meters. Okay. And okay. the biopiles are not more than 10 meters by 20 meters. Well, that's good. It's a yeah. good. It's a nice small number for mm-hmm. you to be checking on these yeah. things, right? Yeah. So, okay. The next question, just to make sure I'm totally getting how these liners work, is the liner between the soil and the building? Or is it the liner under the soil covering the the contaminated soils? So it's between the soil and the building. So and the building. You, you pour some, you you grade your soil, get your liners on that, and then pour some concrete on it. So how do you make sure you're not missing something on the far extremities? So you have to make sure you have kind of it tucked in. Okay, and, so you, you round it out kind yeah. of thing. Okay, so it is one big little cap over the top, yeah. isn't it? And then you put more soil on top and then you do your building. Uh, or you, you don't necessarily need con- You can put concrete, concrete on top. Yeah. So you can put a concrete slab. Yeah. And the good thing about the concrete 
concrete, at least that we think, we don't know for sure, is that it's it's fairly rigid itself. So you're, you're not right. going to have like these deformations unless you have something terrible going on in your subgrade. But. Okay, so one of the questions that I'm very clever, I, I get the, the students to give me some questions just to make sure I cover everything that's really, really important in, in your research. Do you think it's working? I do. You do? So how many, so the people before you and now yourself, how much have you been able to test in terms of years or so we've had i think maybe eight nine years of testing okay that's or eight good. nine years of them being used yeah so part of the testing is every year you have to go around the site and try and see if anything's leached from the piles into the kind of existing water right um, it was a little bit more difficult because there was a giant fuel spill in my years uh right but it's so that kind of topped things up a little yeah. bit and i know my colleagues are sending these membranes for testing and things like that and they've kind of developed a profile where they can see that above the geomembrane it has a higher concentration than below the geomembrane okay so it looks like it's working from when we assumed our geomembrane there were no holes really which was good even that's though, good yeah because you were worried about the rocks and the, yeah. the yeah, the... there are some. It's a very, there's not much soil there, and it was extremely rocky. So it's looking good. It's obviously not the most ideal situation for these materials, but right. it looks like they are holding up holding. and doing their job, and the soil is being cleaned up every year more and more. And this is good. Yeah, they this just is, have to stop spilling a... the shit. Yeah, so you so then you wouldn't need them at all, would you? Yes, yeah. yeah, okay. I, I still want a job. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> We're not going to do something specifically. <laughs> if it happens, I'll... then uh, you're there. <laughs> I love it. So the Antarctica and urban centres, polar yeah. opposites. Yes, polar literally. Opposites. Literally. <laughs> yes, ex- exactly, yeah, literally. So how is it really applicable to both? Because a lot of the times you're talking about the fuel, which I totally get that's happening. We've got all these pipelines going across the country or wanting to go across the country and mm. things and things leaching into water systems and and things like that up here. Of course, it's a little bit different down there because everything's frozen, except for certain times of the year. I guess some some of it... Maybe a little bit. A little bit. But even up here, some things are frozen a lot. Well, that's true. Yeah. That's true, particularly up north. Yeah. So how are these uh, materials actually applicable to both areas? And can you really say, well... This one I can definitely use here, but I can't use there. Because you said, like, with the membrane, it has to be slightly different down in Antarctica. Mm-hmm. But it's essentially the same, or...? Yeah, and this isn't the first polar project with these materials. They're in use at Dewline site, so... Uh, so where's Dewline, sorry? Distant early warning, so back from oh, Cold okay. War days. Um, right. There was all those sites the military put up there and left them to contaminate everything. And so oh, those are so they're still all there? Okay. So that's, a, that's been a cleanup right. project. And yeah, they've been in use there. This is the first time they're in use in Antarctica. They seem to be working. We had that building that we had that vapor. They had to build that building on our contaminated yes. site. And then that's exactly what we're proposing for an urban center. So if it's working in this harsh, unideal... In really harsh conditions, yeah. it should work here. Yeah, that's kind of my thought about it but would you like for instance here in Canada I mean unless you're up north you do have the extremes in weather conditions Mm -hmm. I mean look at this this year's from winter which was crazy and now summer's a little crazy with the heat wave are these membranes able if they're in an environment that has temperatures that are constantly fluctuating not like in Antarctica where you pretty much it's cold here it's it's fluctuating from hot and to deeply cold down to the minus 20s 30s etc are the membranes able to withstand that sort of 
a variation in temperature? So that is a project that one of my colleagues is working okay, on. Okay, right. And there is a lot of research on what can happen. But in these applications, unless you're keeping them uncovered, they're not going to experience as radical shifts. So if you think of like your basement floor, that doesn't have that huge up and down swing every year when you're kind of walking on it with your bare feet. Yeah, it's cold in the winter, but it's not Not that cold as outside. So is it a matter of then of here in urban areas making sure that the membrane is around the... I keep hearing here called the frost line. Yeah, even in landfill applications, while it gets hot in a landfill because of all the yes. bugs and things working, yes. that's when you start really worrying about it, is when it gets really hot. Right. That's what causes it to degrade faster. And right. That. So that's good then you're down in Antarctica yeah. because it's pretty consistent. Yeah, and they, so. they do, um, not this isn't specifically to me, but because it's such high UV down there because there's no ozone yes, there. Yes, yes. Well, uh, thank you, everybody. <laughs> that's why Australians to uh, put the old hat and sunscreen on very a, a lot. Yes, they, uh, they were quite shocked with me of how blasé I was about it. <laughs> Who doesn't need sunscreen? They're, they have the zinc eyes that like some people yeah. just like only can see their eyes. You, we get brought up with it, the zinc cream across the nose yeah. and everything. Yeah. So that the big one big worry for these materials is UV rays. So even though our membranes aren't in, exposed, in, yes. we do have sun deck tests where they're sitting okay. on the top of a building and we take a little piece every year and bring it down to see how they degrade over time and I think they were in our last paper that we published they were looking pretty good. So with that then you do most of your analysis down in Antarctica and then you come back up here to write? Nope. Or I do you do, bring stuff back with I you? I sample in Antarctica and then it gets sent back to me. Okay. I'm so not allowed to bring it on the plane. People get mad at me. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what, what do you have to, to declare? Well, <laughs> so. it's, it's difficult because it's a soil product. So it's like it's uh, difficult getting back into Australia. Well, in Australia, Australia. You, as we say, that your cactus getting anything into Australia <laughs> that's um, with, to do with biology. Yeah. <laughs> because but it's a little easier into Canada. Yeah, it is way good. easier into Canada. So it's like first getting it into Australia is a So you process. have to go there first, I guess, because you're flying into in Tasmania. Yeah, and, and that's then... where the Australian Antarctic Division is. So they have freezers they have uh, right processing. so they have yeah things that uh, would make customs happy mm-hmm. and quarantine happy yes. it's the quarantine stuff right yes. you want to bring in extra bugs or yes. or have something that was frozen in time and suddenly <laughs> coming into a warmer climate exactly <laughs> oh my god the, the science fiction would be everywhere yes. yeah. <laughs> so that's great okay so you're checking out down in antarctica not many people can go down there mm-hmm. so one could easily say well why are we spending all this time worrying about antarctica when we should be worrying more about these vapor barriers for up here and where there's with this more heavily populated areas why why do we care about antarctica i know i have my opinion but why would you care in terms of in with your research why do we care about that sure there are kind of two reasons why i think we care the first is that it's probably one of the last pristine places right so any impact is really noticeable right here you you don't even notice like what is on the ground because it like it is all so contaminated and gross and you just don't think about it right but there you'll notice when like you notice that there's a little piece of garbage and you know that's not supposed to be there right and another big reason of why this project is going down is because of the international treaties that you cannot leave Um, anything on in on antarctica great that's what governs the funding for this is that that they have to clean it up so you might as well get some science out of it so apart from yourself canada Mm -hmm. um australia what other 
countries are down there doing similar research or research to make make sure that this Antarctica is pristine? So there's a Brazilian program that the Australian okay. Antarctic Division had partnered with before me. They're importing some of their work or some of the ideas to the Brazilian okay. stations. We had some Chinese delegates come through and they seemed really interested in what we're doing. It's really hard to say of right. who exactly is doing what. I imagine there are things being done, I think, but it looks like everybody's just really focused focused on the science sampling, not so much the remediation, from what I can tell. Okay, yeah. right, right. And so I guess when you're down there, you have your own little area, like here's the con- con- Canadian contingent in well, your huts, or do you, you mix with the other groups? And... So there is no Canadian site. Oh, there isn't? Oh, no. so you're, you're, you're tucked in there with the Aussies. I'm tucked in there with the Aussies. We're not that bad. They're great, I love them. There we go, that was lucky. I love Aussies. <laughs> Let's keep this interview going. My supervisor is actually yeah, Australian. That's true, that's true. So like, I love Australians. I want to go back. I, it's great. But there's this unofficial Canadian contingent. Right. And it's it's so it's good. special and crazy. But it's all the pilots are Canadian oh. pilots. They fly in the Arctic in the Arctic summer. And then oh, they all go down, they go down. And they fly in the Antarctic Fantastic. summer. Fantastic. Yeah, I guess you have to be a pretty good pilot. Too. Yeah, and they're used to this type of thing. You get to be good friends with them. Right. Like one of them was from Kingston. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Another one did flying school with one of my close friends from university. Fantastic. Like, you know, you just yes. meet them. It in... shows how small the world is. Yeah, it yes. was crazy. So we're tucked in with the Aussies. You see occasionally a Chinese delegation come right. through because we have one of the okay. only runways well, in that, that area. That's convenient. Yeah. So if you, you want to come here, you've got to use our runway. Yeah. So <laughs> be the, nice to us. <laughs> yeah. So that's part of it is it's a bit of a gateway. So right. the Americans fly through. Right. Right. And they drop people off to use our to get on our flight. Well, not mine because <laughs> it's yours. <laughs> it's mine. It's mine. You really only see one American, three Canadians, well, five Canadians, right? A couple Kiwis, and then a lot of Aussies. Maybe like a Brit who's like yes. an expat and been living in. The... <laughs> so it's really a lot of. It's Aussies. the Commonwealth. The yeah. Commonwealth is meeting down in Antarctica yeah. and keeping trying to keep it as safe as, as yeah, possible just for the rest to keep of the it world. As functioning. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. I love that. Yeah. I think that's that's great that you have that opportunity. And I'm just really glad that you feel that the work that you're doing is working. Because yeah. the problem with a lot of research is it doesn't always work. <laughs> so it must be very satisfying knowing that what you're doing is making a difference. Yeah. Sometimes there are times when you're like, I'm looking at this minute thing and then I've, I've been thinking about it and it's getting applied. And the Antarctica stuff especially because it is so this is so niche and, you know, yes. what, are you, what are you going to do? But then, yeah, we built something using what we learned. Like that's the point of that's engineering point of and like research and research and engineering. And then apply it. Yeah. And yeah. then the brownfield application is we didn't have it tested but it looks like it's working and it's being done somewhere that's fantastic Mm -hmm. how much time have you got left are you on the writing stage writing everything up I'm a I'm a jumble of things so I am (laughs) four years in September I didn't do a master's I upgraded right I went to Antarctica for two and a half months uh for my second and third year which it from November to uh March which really messes up your courses so I finished my last course in the fall semester that's good you've done it my comprehensive is on Friday oh good luck with that and I've I've taken you away from your comps I do apologize that's very important for a student to get your comps out the way and then I think like I'm in that kind of writing stage right fantastic it's, it's coming to an end I hope yeah, I really hope. well, it sounds like you've got a lot of good information that yeah. you can use anyway. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm sure everyone will be looking forward to Definitely. what you write, particularly <laughs> those 
who were interested in making sure Antarctica is, is a safe place. So and, even Canadian and Canada Arctic, because you can apply a lot of it there. Exactly. So there's a lot of transferables mm-hmm. that you've got there, which is it's going to help us all. Yeah. So I appreciate you going down there. <laughs> okay. So best of luck with the rest of your research, but your, your comps on right. coming up. And hopefully the next time that we have a chat, you will be completely finished. What, what's happening after your PhD? I don't know. I used to work in consulting. I, right. I, I designed tailings dams for two years after I graduated. I kind of want to stay in research. Great. I, I've done some teaching at Queen's. Right. Um, I'm hoping to do some more and continue, continue. on maybe. But we'll I want to go back happens. to Australia. Oh, well, there I you go. go back. <laughs> so you've got another one. Another one changed to go yeah, over there. So you're I, I some Vegemite in my, like, oh, at my house. Okay. I make lamingtons and anjantes. <laughs> I bet with your Vegemite you haven't got many mates in that room <laughs> Canadians hate the smell of Vegemite it's, but it's yeah. great yeah so oh that's going to be definitely going to make you an honorary Australian oh yeah I've done if the Tim, Tim Tam the, Slam the Tim, oh. <laughs> everyone's going to go what's going on in there that's great <laughs> well Ness that's fantastic thank you again for coming down today I know it was a bit of a rush for you but uh, do appreciate it and I'm sure everyone's going to be absolutely um, intrigued about this research Thank you so much for having me. You're very, very welcome. So that's it, everyone. Another week of Grad Chat sadly comes to an end. See, we get so excited. Sometimes we go over time, but that's all right. Until next week, this is CJ the DJ signing off with a big hooray.